You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Connection with the text and sermon this morning, which will be from Luke 1, a little later in the chapter, we'll read some earlier verses, verses 5 through 25 of Luke chapter 1. These verses may be familiar to you. They form an important background for our text this morning, and so we'll consider them once again. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the, up, of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, The people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Our text this morning is Luke chapter 1, the verses 57 through 66. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, 
there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened, and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a saying that to err is human. I think certainly we can agree with that. There's another thing that's very much a part of who we are as human beings, as God has made us. And that is that we desire. We desire many different things. We have these desires within us. You you can't do anything about it. It's part of who you are to desire. Some desires are, are good, holy. Other desires are not good, not holy, sinful. But we have these desires. And perhaps around this time of the year, for you, these desires become strong. Maybe especially if you're a little on the younger side. That this time of the year, the time around Christmas, when it might be the tradition in your family that you open presents on or around Christmas Day, it's not everyone's practice, but it is for a lot of families to open presents so those desires can become very large. I can remember when I was younger, it, it seemed like that day just couldn't come fast enough. You know, every night you're, you're counting down the sleeps, three more sleeps and two more sleeps and one more sleep. And then and the day that you're going to open these presents comes and it's the slowest day that has ever existed as you wait for the day to progress, in my family, we open the presents in the evening. It seemed to be some sort of torture tactic by my parents. Because you just wanted to open those presents. You had this desire and it was so strong. Maybe some of you can relate with that. We have these desires. They are within us. Of course, presents are, are just one. There's many other desires, deeper, more weighty desires as well. And sometimes God fulfills these desires, and sometimes he doesn't. But the question that that comes before us this morning as we consider God's word from Luke 1 is what is the reaction when God does show his tender mercy By fulfilling that deepest desire, that good and wholesome desire that we might have. Because it can happen when God fulfills our desires that we don't respond in thanksgiving and praise to him. We can act like that child who who opens the present and then runs off to play with it. Or who opens the present, throws it aside and says, okay, where's the next one? 
Or, when we recognize that we've been given our heart's desire, we can express our thankfulness and our praise to God. And so this morning, we consider God's mercy in his fulfillment of the deep desire of Zechariah and Elizabeth as we consider God's mercy in the birth of a child named John. God's mercy in the birth of a child named John. What's striking about this is, is the reaction that comes from, from God's expression of mercy. Elizabeth, her womb is, is open. Her barren womb gives birth to a child and it's for the glory of the Lord. And Zechariah's tongue is loosed and it's for the praise of God. John's whole life is given for service in God's kingdom. So first we consider Elizabeth. Elizabeth's womb is favored for God's glory. In verse 58, we learn that Elizabeth's neighbors heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. And so they shared in her joy. And and why wouldn't they? The birth of a child is always an amazing thing. It's a gift of God. But for those who knew Elizabeth, of course, they knew that the birth of this child was something very special. It's because Elizabeth was an old woman. Women her age didn't usually have children. But even more, because this was her only child, she had been barren. Barrenness is very much a part of Elizabeth's life as we understand from Luke chapter 1. It's mentioned already twice in this chapter before our text. Luke 1 verse 7, we read that they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. They were both well along in years. And then later, when the angel is talking to Mary, he says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. Now we know from God's word Again, in Luke 1, in our reading together, that Zechariah and Elizabeth were very pious, godly, righteous Israelites. They were faithfully loving and serving the Lord with their lives. But God, in his wisdom and in his providence, had not given them any children. In that culture... That was a very difficult burden to bear. As you can see, even in this account, her her barrenness seems to have in, in some ways defined her. When she's mentioned, her barrenness is mentioned right along with her. And she herself speaks of the lack that she felt. We read that in 1 verse 25. She says, in these days, God has shown me his favor and has taken away my disgrace. Among the people. She's almost certainly speaking about the disgrace of her childlessness. Now that word disgrace, that might be too strong for some of you who, who might have a similar experience today. But many can relate, can't you? Our church, the culture in our church is one that values children. We value marriage. 
we value other things as well. And while you are faithfully serving the Lord in your, your, your childlessness or your singleness or in some other area where you perceive this, this hole, this lack in your life, that, that can have an almost defining effect on you, can it? Childlessness, I think, can be like that. Singleness can sometimes have that very same effect. Of course, not necessarily, but it quite often happens, doesn't it? That was the experience that Elizabeth had gone through. It had been a, a difficult experience for her. But that announcement that that she and Zechariah were going to have a child, that changed all this for her. God had shown her his favor, she says. God had shown his great mercy, her neighbors and relatives recognize. God has fulfilled her deep and her good desire to have a child. And so her neighbors and relatives all recognize this as a great gift of God. This is how children were viewed. They were great gifts of God. The gift by which God expanded his people and carried on the family name in the nation of Israel. And that's why for these neighbors and, and friends, it would have, they, they thought immediately that this child should be named Zechariah. What an honor. Finally, in his old age, Zechariah has a son. He must be named after his son. This boy was going to bring great joy to his parents in their old age. And so when Elizabeth protests and says, no, not Zechariah, they can't understand. What's Elizabeth thinking? This is the child they longed for. This was the child they desired. Children's children, we read in Proverbs 17, verse 6, are a crown to the aged. Well, for this aged couple, it wasn't their children's children, but it was their very own child. And so why not celebrate this in the culturally appropriate way of naming him after his father? Why? Well, Elizabeth knows. Elizabeth knows. She knows that God has not given her this child for her crown or for Zechariah's crown, but for God's crown. She knows that God has given her this child not for her glory, not for Zechariah's glory, but for God's glory. This miraculous conception is the Lord's mercy and it's for God's glory. And Elizabeth understands this. And in fact, John's name confirms this. When the angel says it and when they obey the angel's message and command to name him John, it confirms something about this child. It was a strange name to those neighbors and relatives. They didn't understand. Why would you name him John? And so the name kind of stands out for us. And, and we can't really see it in the English. It can be even hard to see in the original language. But the name John is two words put together. If you bring it back to the Old Testament language, it's Yahweh 
is gracious. Yahweh is gracious. That's to be this child's name. He's to show the grace of God. And in much more than just having fulfilled the deep desires of Elizabeth and Zechariah, God is gracious, isn't he? In his cosmic plan for the salvation of humanity, God has favored this aging, barren couple with a child. He's a God of tender mercies. It's this vast plan that God has has laid out from all eternity and encompasses this whole world, and yet God stoops down to show his mercy to this aging couple. He's a God of tender mercies, but he is also a God of glorious grace. And his work will extend far beyond this family in the hill country of Judea. John will be a witness to all the people of Israel, and he will be a witness to the light of the whole world as he prepares the way for Jesus Christ. And so do you see the glory of God? Do you see his grace as he fulfills the deep desire of Elizabeth in bringing her child into the world? She becomes a vessel of his grace. Her womb shines with God's glory and tender mercies. What an honor the creator has done for this much loved daughter of his. And what glory. He shows in the life of this child. Congregation, can you recognize the glory of God? The tender mercies of God in this account given to us in his word to show us his kindness and his grace. Brothers and sisters, do you recognize the tender mercies and the love of God in your own lives? In your own lives, in a thousand places where God ordains things for you in a way that reveals his tender mercy and his loving grace. Sometimes in in granting those deep desires of your heart. And sometimes in not granting those deep desires of your heart. Do you give God the glory for the tender mercy that he reveals? And do you recognize that that at the very center of all the grace that he has shown is the grace revealed in his son, Jesus Christ? And his son, Jesus Christ, where he has fulfilled not only the deepest desire, but the deepest need of our lives, giving us a savior, a mediator. The fulfillment of a desire, of a good desire, is one thing. The salvation of the world is another. God has accomplished that in his tender mercy and in his glorious grace. He accomplished it through the one that John the Baptist was born to prepare the way for. He accomplished it through Jesus Christ. Elizabeth's womb 
shines for the glory of God. We go on to consider Zechariah. Zechariah's tongue, which is loosed for God's praise. Zechariah himself is a vessel of God's tender mercy at work. Now, Zechariah, you, you recall, is the one that Gabriel himself had appeared to to announce the birth and purpose of John. And the end result of that meeting was that Elizabeth had become pregnant with the next great prophet of Israel in her womb. But there was another result for Zechariah, wasn't there? That was that he became mute, became unable to speak until the time when the angel's announcement would be fulfilled. Not being able to speak is a frustrating experience. Some of you may, may know those who have experienced this. Some of you experience this, or, or for people very close to you who cannot speak. It can be a very frustrating experience. Our brother Arts Mating recently suffered a stroke, which left him unable to speak. Just slowly, he's recovering from. But that is a frustrating experience, not being able to express yourself. Zechariah experienced that in the time leading up to John's birth. But he may have experienced more as well, because we read in our text that after the baby was born, and everyone, or Elizabeth told everyone that his name to be, was to be John, then the gathered kin, neighbors, and, and relatives, they seek Zechariah's input. But, but what do they say when they, what does it say when they seek his input? It says they motioned. They made signs to his father. The word there is a very technical word for making signs to someone who's deaf. So although it doesn't say it explicitly, it may be that Zechariah was not only mute, but was also deaf in the time leading up to John's birth. Now, why did this happen? Why was Zechariah for sure mute and possibly also deaf? Well, the angel is very clear. He says, it's because you did not believe me. Zechariah, or Gabriel, says, I stand before the Lord. I'm an angel of the Lord. You don't need to ask me for a sign. This will happen. I bring you the word of the Lord. And he says to Zechariah, because you did not believe my words, then you will not speak until the day this happens. Zechariah used his tongue to question Gabriel's authority and the authority of the word of the Lord. And so Zechariah's tongue was tied. He wasn't able to share this wonderful news. He wasn't able to express the joy that he felt in his heart. He was forced basically to sit in silence for the course of his wife's pregnancy. In what was probably a frustrating experience for him. That's the result. Or that's the reason the result of Zechariah's unbelief. But the result, going further, is much different. 
After it comes true that that he has a child and he's, he's named John, then Zechariah's tongue is loosed and it is loosed for God's praise. Verse 64, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and began and he began to speak, praising God. And not only that, but right after our text, then he prophesies, filled with the Holy Spirit. He uses his tongue to declare the word of the Lord about John and the one for whom John would serve. It's not bitterness or anger that's captured Zechariah's heart during those long, silent months. No. God has revealed his tender mercy to Zechariah. God gave his word. Zechariah questioned it. But Zechariah was humbled by it. He was humbled. He was disciplined by the Lord. And he learned and so when he was asked what the child's name should be, there was no hesitation. You can, you can notice that between verses 62 and 63 of our text. They, they say, what should the child's name be? What would he like to name the child? And Zechariah gets the writing tablet and he writes, not his name shall be John. No, his name is John. His name is John. His name has been John ever since the angel made that announcement. His name has been John before the foundation of the world. He is John. There's no doubt about it in Zechariah's mind. God has singled John out for the marvelous task of bringing the message of salvation of preparing the way for the Lord. And so Zechariah praises God. God's tender mercy to Zechariah, through his discipline of Zechariah, leads Zechariah to faith, overflowing in praise. Have you experienced the tender mercy of God in this way? Sometimes he fulfills our deepest desires And sometimes he does what we would not ask for at all, as in the case of Zechariah. Have you experienced the tender mercy of God's disciplining hand in your life? Certainly not in the way that Zechariah has, but that that painful experience of rebuke by the Lord and, and the consequences that come to bear in your life because of it. Well, we know That when we experience this, God is disciplining us. And we know that when God disciplines us, he is showing his love to us. He's treating us as children. He doesn't let us continue unaffected in our sin. He doesn't let us try and stand up to him and question him. But he would have us be humbled before him. He shows us his tender mercy, yes, even in his rebuke. And he leads us to praise him for his patience and for his grace. And this, in fact, what's striking about this is that this is what John's ministry would be all about. John would bring this message of repentance to the people of God. He would bring a difficult message. He would bring a message of rebuke for them. He would say, you are a sinful people. You've gone astray. You need to humble yourself before the Lord. 
Confess your sins and turn from them. And turn to God in faith and in obedience. He was sent to prepare the way of the Lord to make their hearts ready through repentance for thankful praise. The kind of praise that Zechariah's tongue was loosed to declare. So Elizabeth is a vessel of God's grace. Zechariah is a vessel of God's grace as he prepares the way for his son to come into the world. And finally, we come to John. John's whole life is set apart for service in God's kingdom. John, this child, John, who was born in our text, he, he will later become known as John the Baptist. Because his ministry will be characterized by a preparatory baptism. A baptism of repentance. A baptism of acknowledging your sin and preparing your heart for the coming of God's grace in Jesus Christ. John himself is a vessel of God's mercy. In fact, his whole life is special. Shows God's grace at work. This is shown in the the unique and special purpose that's announced by the angel when he's born. Now, If an angel announces your birth at all, we can say there's something pretty special about you, isn't there? It doesn't really matter what the angel says after that. If an angel comes to announce your birth, that's pretty special. But the angel also announces what John will do in in 1 verse 15. He says he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. As he brings message of repentance To the people of God. This is a special child. And it's also expressed in his birth here. Everyone recognizes this. We read that the neighbors were all filled with awe. And throughout the whole hill country of Judea. People were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it. Asking what then is this child going to be? They recognize there's something special about this child. It's not the, per- the person of John as such that they're, they're seeing the specialness. But they're saying, what then will this child, not what who will this child be, but what is this child going to do? What's going to be God's purpose for this child? And that is precisely the point of John's unique conception, that he is a child born for a unique purpose in life. And this too was announced by the angel When he says in in chapter 1, verse 17, that he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the disobedient to the the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This child is going to be the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. A voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. John was a unique child with a unique birth. He was really special. There's a desire in our own hearts right now, isn't there? To sort of say, but I'm special too. I'm also special. I, I want to be included too. But we really need to recognize that that this... The, the incredible uniqueness about this, there was only one prophet sent as an immediate forerunner to Jesus Christ, and that was John the Baptist. 
So he is overwhelmingly special. He was one of a kind. And yet, and yet, that heart's desire that we have to, to be special is fulfilled by God. Yes, you too, each one of you individually are fearfully and wonderfully made in God's image. Different from anyone else. You've been born to a special and unique purpose. No angels came to announce that purpose. But yet we know that each one of us does have a purpose God has given us. But what's the point of that? That's what we need to ask. Why has God made us unique and special? Well, then we turn back to John. What was the point of John's special birth? Well, that his whole life would be set apart for preparing the way for Jesus Christ. Yes, his birth was very special, but the specialness was expressed in a life of service in the kingdom of God. He was entirely and utterly set apart for submissive service to Jesus Christ. And John himself even expressed that in his ministry when he said of Jesus Christ, he must become greater and I must become less. John, prophet in Israel, whose birth was announced by angels, whose birth was spoken of throughout Judea and Israel, says, I must become less so that Jesus can become more. God was preparing Israel to receive the light of the world. John came as as a lesser light. John came as, as one that shines, but only to direct people to the true light, the light of life, the light of forgiveness and hope and joy, the light that shines only in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, you too can share in John's special story. You too are people set apart. You too are saints. You too are prophets. Prophets of the most high God. And you too have been called to become less. So that in every way, Jesus Christ might become more. That, underneath all those desires in our hearts, is to be our greatest desire. That Jesus Christ and God the Father through him, along with the Holy Spirit, would become great. That we would become less. We've been called to live a life that shines like a bright arrow pointing to God's great work in Jesus Christ. So, brothers and sisters, do you see the tender mercy of God at work? Do you see the tender mercy of God at work in this passage? Do you see the tender mercy of God at work as he brings his own son into this world? Do you see how God's tender mercy is evident in your life as well? How God has called you and enlisted you to serve him 
for his glory and for his praise and for his kingdom. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.